as a child, my first memory would be walking back from the kindergarten and singing a song, My Boy Lollipop. I love that song. My name is Paul Archie. I was born in Orgate, the Adelaide Hills, on the 10th of November 1957. And this is my story. My father is Wankungura and Lower Southern Aranda, and my mother is Aranda and also Yankuntara. I was born in Adelaide because my father was doing an electrical apprenticeship down there at the time and my mother is down in Adelaide at that very same time. Both families had connections from Udinadatta. I was born in 1957, then 1958 we came back to Alice Springs. Lots of brothers and sisters through the Aboriginal connection, through our Aboriginal law, LORE. I did have a younger brother, but he was still born. And the story for that was that my father was working at Maralinga as the electrician when he was down there doing his electrical trade. He was working at Maralinga when the atomic tests were going on. And he was working in the hangars and the planes were flying through the mushroom clouds and coming back into the hangar. And he didn't have any PPE on or anything like that, you know what I mean? And obviously he was radioactive. He was poisoned by that radioactivity because that's a classic case of knowing when you're radioactive. My brother was still born. So they never ever had the ability to have kids after that. And testament that was Cherie Blair, the wife of the Prime Minister of, of the UK then, Tony Blair. She put up class action against the British government on behalf of all of the UK veterans. They're all dying. They're all dying because they were exposed to this. And my father died from radioactivity. He died at 60 years of age. So mum put in a, a party to that class action and they couldn't argue because he was signing books going in and out. He was a contractor. So he was there on site. But it got quashed. The British government said, no, we're not compensating anybody. So that's basically why I'm an only child. My father was getting a bit worried about his father, Arthur Archie Senior, and wanted to spend some time back here with him before he passed and passed away in 1966. My father died in 1987, so I wish he was still around, you know, but those things you can't change. Now, that whole thing around early childhood learning, tender love and care, I think that was delivered to me in exemplary fashion. There was discipline there, but there was love, there was attention, there was learning, there was teaching. Um, and I was very fortunate to have that upbringing, really. My father would take me out hunting, he taught me how to shoot, he taught me how to play guitar, he taught me all the things that a father would teach a son. And my mother did the same thing on, on the woman's side of things. So she was a disciplinarian, you know, within the family, and um, she's still alive today, you know. She's 89, going to turn 90 years, so she still gets around, she still looks after herself, and she's very strong, you know, very strong woman. As a child, she's only five. I got burnt with petrol, which was really disabling for me. Eileen Vernershaw was playing at the back of Tilmouth's house in Park Crescent. 
wasn't uncommon for me to go across the road back and forth, you know. Eileen had been bitten by ants because there was a big ants nest in the backyard. So her uncle, Christopher, decided, oh, I'm going to grab some, I'm going to kill these bloody ants, you know. So he grabbed some petrol, put it in an open can and he started pouring it on the ants nest and he and he had the can still there. So he chucked a match and then a flashback into the can and he flew the can up there and the whole molten fuel fell on top of my head and I was on fire running around the house and I think Uncle Walker was there then and they grabbed me and chucked towels over me. And lucky Uncle Walker was there because he knew what to do. And then they chucked me in the back of the car and took me up to the hospital but it was pretty much life and death type situation. And that was it, five years old, you know, and um, having molten petrol and that flowing down your skin. There were third degree burns, skin grafts and all that sort of stuff had to happen. So I was going through a rehabilitation process and uh, a lot of the burns were third degree burns, like they were really bad. But lucky I didn't lose any mobility in terms of my fingers or, or anything like that. And it all happened on the left side. But, you know, I was lucky. I had my grandmother um, and my extended family. They'd rub me down with olive oil and all that sort of stuff. So it was a constant type of rehabilitation that I had. Um, I don't remember other than anything other than recovering quite well, actually. But it was something in my life that sort of actually kept me in check for the rest of my life because I wasn't perfect anymore in my own eyes. Most of my friends were my relatives, the broader Aboriginal community, you know. I didn't really go outside that little circle so much at a young age. Relatives were the mainstay of who I was, you know. I distinctly remember my first day at Hartley Street School, Dean Archie and Philip, but they're all older than me. And I think we were only there for about a year. Then we all walked down to Traeger Park Primary School because that was built. So we all walked down carrying our chairs and everything like that. You know, it was just absolutely fantastic. Going to high school was another level and um, that's why I used to hang around there with Jeffrey Waite and, you know, and had a few American friends because we had the base that was starting to be populated by young Americans coming out. And, and I always say to people, just being in a classroom where you would have at least a third of the class would be Americans. And, you know, you had a class of 30 or something like that. So 10 of those would be Americans, you know, and, and I'm thinking to myself, they were very extroverted. So that certainly brought out the introvert person and everybody else in the room because you looked at this American person that was putting their hand up for every question and getting 50% wrong. Thinking, come on, mate. You know, so then you'd put your hand up and you'd get it wrong, but it didn't matter, you know, because... I mean, it allowed you to engage and, and I think that, you know, that sense of confidence and that sense of knowing and being aware of who you are. So that's what I found out about Ashes. It really sort of really established um, yourself as a person that could believe in themselves, you know, like even though I wasn't scholastically doing all that well in first year, I think I failed first year. Yeah, I did. I failed first year. I had to do first year twice, you know, because we were too busy mucking around, you know, like school wasn't all that important. It was about the relationships you had with all your mates and friends and all that sort of stuff. We had some good teachers there too, and but there was a really good, strong sense of um, camaraderie amongst everybody. Just thinking back, I suppose, there was institutionalised racism. I don't know whether it was intentional. I remember going to school and um, we were always pushed into the social sciences course, you know, or you do geography, you do history, you know, you do this English, and, and but you don't do maths or anything like that, you know, that will allow you to become a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. So I didn't click onto that for a while, you know, and I thought to myself, but, you know, having channeled us into all those social sciences types subjects was really important because every Aboriginal person that I know that went to school with me and they come from all different walks of life could all read and write quite well and still to do this day. 
And it was absolutely a testament to the education system at that time because I remember, you know, doing the alphabet and doing the times tables and it was just like continuous, 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 drummed in. And you, after a while, you just got it, you know, you, you understood how it all worked. And then if you apply yourself enough, you put all those pieces together and, and you carve your own little way through life. In high school, I started to get a bit more exposed to a bit more of the physical side of, of playing football. I used to be scared of the ball when I was in primary school, when we played in the in the school comps, I'd wait for the ball to bounce. I was too scared to mark it because, you know, it's sort of like, oh, you know, this is a bit much. And then someone would come through and grab the ball and take off. So in first year and second year was very much around playing footy with older players and just getting a, a bit more of a feel. So I wasn't really very good in first year, second year at playing footy. But I loved the game and I used to go down and watch footy and, and try and play footy. But, you know, like we had PE sessions down there, you know, and I remember being in a PE class with uh, Malcolm Hill. And Hilly was like a champion bike rider back then, but we used to play volleyball as part of our elective, you know? What sport do you want to play as an elective? So I played volleyball. And that sort of honed up my skills around diving and all that sort of stuff, you know? So volleyball, you've got to dive. So in football, you dive for a mark, you know? So that really um, was interesting growing up. Volleyball was a non-contact sport, but it was very physical in terms of, you know, getting up the net and spiking and all that sort of stuff. But footy, it was sort of something that I wanted to do, but wasn't really good at it. Stephen Trindle was was the person that we all looked up to for my my age. He still was a little bit older, but, you know, Stephen was just a, a freak. You know, he could play anything, you know, anything. And everybody looked up to him, you know, because, you know, he could do anything. And, and then people like Richard Mack, and we sort of looked up to, you know, and, and sort of looked at them and said, wow, you know, geez, look at these guys play footy, you know. And 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 unfortunately, um, he just passed away recently, you know, my cousin, brother, and good friend, and Richard Cop just watching those men boys then, you know. It was good. There was a whole host of different types of footballers around that um, that came from communities too, where they're playing at a Ginger Porter, you know, Santa Teresa, they used to come in and play and um, there was a couple of the Sharps there that were just amazing footballers, you know, and mm-hmm. and and the Hats Mahals, you know, and um, the Downos and just a whole, you know, like it's just quite a rich melting pot of of um, of uh, footballers around, and we're all young, and you know, all on our way to glory, as we in our minds. <laughs> Initially, I didn't play with pioneers. I played with a Mungana. That's of course all my mates were playing with Mungana. Terry Tillmouse and um, Richard Hayes, and we all lived in the Gap, and we all kicked the footy in the streets and stuff like that. So we all gravitated towards each other and um, I remember playing with a Mungana. I think we won a flag you know, with, with a Mungana. Then uh, Mungana shifted to south and I started to get a bit better at footy then. So Pioneers sort of pricked their ears. Hey, he should be playing at Pioneers, you know. So what's he doing playing with south? So they did a transfer between myself and Gordon Reid at that time. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, he was all part of the little mix down the gap, you know. So um, so we transferred and I was only 14 and, and Gordon was only 14. So Gordon went to South and I went to Pioneers and, um, yeah, I just played B-grade with Pioneers then. So that was good. When I was 15, 16, I played um, a state football for South Australia. And for the first time in 42 years, we won the we won the championships over in Perth, we played. I was 16, um, playing with North Adelaide in the under-17s and then came back here in, um, when I was 17 and I won the male medal. I was the youngest male medal winner here and I started playing A-grade for, for Pioneer Football Club and I was playing centre-forward, you know, as a 5'11". But I was really good in the air 
I could kick goals. I remember getting flown down to Melbourne to play with Carlton in a trial game that flew me down when I was 18 and uh, played um, there with the, the greats, Alex Jeselenko, all those people. Played in a trial game with them, you know, Bruce Dool and everybody. They were all there, you know. And, and they said, oh, we want you to play with Carlton. We want to sign you up, you know, and we'll put you through uni because I just finished year 12. We want to put you through uni and all that sort of stuff. Why don't you stay here? And, you know, and, um, but I... Um, I was young, really didn't have any mentors, you know, and I think that was really um, a downfall for me is to not having anyone before me or, or an older brother or somebody just to grab me by the ear and say, listen, mate, behave yourself, you know, like this is what you've got to do if you want, you know. And my father was um, pretty passive in that, you know, he's, he's my father and, and um, he he was as good as father as anyone would want, but, you know, he, he didn't really understand all that, you know, football sort of thing. And I ended up taking off from Carlton, went back to North Adelaide and I ended up playing league football in North Adelaide when I was 19 and then I broke my arm and then I got caught up with drugs and, you know, alcohol and um, because I had a year off, I couldn't play football for a year. So, you know, I was idle and it affects people in different ways and, um, you know, heavy amounts of uh, marijuana use um, for me wasn't good. Um, it affected me psychotically in terms of my balance. I, I, from there on, I was never the same footballer, you know. Um, and then it's a confidence game. I kept on smoking, you know, and kept on drinking. And um, by the time I was 21, 22, it was all over. It was all over, Paul. I was, I, I was not the same footballer that I was almost going to play. I would have played in the 79 grand final in the VFL grand final. No, I had no, no um, in my mind... I was good enough, you know, but I didn't stay at Carlton. And when I played at North, um, I played league football at nine and I was playing, you know, against the best players in the league, you know, and there was no AFL then. There was, you know, VFL, WAFL and, and SANFL. And I remember people come and say, you should be playing state, you know, state football for SA. And, and there was so much, um, you know, um, aspirations for that other people had on myself and myself too. But even now I go to Adelaide, people, they still think, man, you was a good footballer. What happened to you? You know, like, honestly, my son got the other day, he said, there was that a thing and this bloke was, he said, it got embarrassing this bloke was talking so much. <laughs> but that's just life. I blew it. I actually blew it, you know, drugs and alcohol. It was a consequence for me. Thank goodness I give it up, you know. I, I haven't smoked, you know, ganja for so long now, decades. Thank goodness for that. I, I couldn't. I was hitting paranoia, you know, it was not good. Mm. And some people still smoke today that I know. My friend, it hasn't affected them, you know. Mm. But that's individuals, you know. If, if it's something's not good for you, well, then you've got to get off of it. I didn't do anything harder than that, you know, but that was enough to stuff my life up, really. When you're young, you're still finding your way, still finding your own identity, even though you believe you're this person or that person. Um, really, you know, sometimes you sit back and think, am I really that? Can I really make it in this? And you start questioning who you are because it's a really formative part of your life between 17 and, and 25, you know, like, you know, you're becoming a man and all the stuff that comes with that. And marijuana was because everybody else was smoking marijuana, you know. You'd go down to someone's place and you'd, and, you'd, and you'd have a good laugh, you know, but then the laughs disappear and it becomes more sombre and becomes more sinister. You start having too much deep inner thoughts about about who you are and it just takes you to places that you really don't want to be but it'll take you there and then you know then it's a whole different ball game i knew that if i didn't break it it'll break me yeah i quit marijuana cold turkey bang 25 i said i'm not smoking anymore go on <laughs>